know, it's interesting that John, as he was talking about our uh, missionary highlight this week, that he, Travis said that oftentimes they have to deconstruct what Mormons believe. Because today I think that's the task at hand, to deconstruct the gospel that many have accepted. Today's going to be a whirlwind of going through the Word of God. I'm going to let God's Word do most of the speaking today, because it's God's Word where the power is. And so if you would, with me, just bow as I ask God to speak, and for your ears and mine to hear. Father, we do bow before you because you are almighty. And God, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, that we would have a totally different comprehension of how mighty you are. Father, I pray that you would use me as a humble servant, an instrument to proclaim your own word. And Lord, that your spirit, through the preaching of the words that come from the written words you've given us in the scripture, would pierce us down. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to begin a new sermon series that I've entitled Extraordinarily Transformed. We've looked at from ordinary to extraordinary that God likes to use the ordinary things of the world to bring himself glory and that God is a God of glory. I'm not sure if you ever stopped to think about that word extraordinary. Now, you know me, I'm just a dumb jock and uh, really could care less about Latin, but as I looked at this word this morning or, or this week, the prefix extra really helps to unpack what extraordinary means. It is not limited to something over and above the ordinary. If you take the prefix ex, it, it means out of. Uh, when you put it together with extra, it, it means beyond. And so when you think of extraordinary transformed, in the terms that we are speaking of spiritually, it means that we are transformed beyond something that is natural to something that is supernatural. We are transformed out of the power of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this series I hope that it's one that challenges. I hope that it's one that is convicting. I hope that it is one that makes you desiring more and more and more. That God wants to extraordinarily transform you to bring himself glory. God is in pursuit of us. We've seen this. We see it from Genesis to Revelation of God's pursuit of sinful man, of God bringing himself glory over and over and over. And we see this throughout the Word of God. In fact, we call it the Gospel. The Gospel is God's plan of redemption. And it's very interesting that the majority of us as a church are going through a, the same Sunday school series from our children all the way up to our adults called the Gospel Project, where we see this redemptive theme all throughout the Word of God. It's interesting to me and really sad to me that some today want to throw out the Old Testament. We can't throw out the Old Testament because it is just as much the Word of God as the New Testament. We see God's redemptive theme in Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. But my emphasis this morning, if you want to really be extraordinarily transformed, that through this series we understand the things that are required of us, the things that we genuinely have to understand deep down in our soul, if you want to be extraordinarily transformed. I think that you would agree with me that as we look at the American church today, we're not seeing extraordinary transformation. In fact, I don't even think we're seeing transformation at all. 
receiving a totally different gospel that is preached, a gospel of comfort, a gospel of that allows us to come to church on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week. That is not the gospel that God has presented to us. And so I want us to see a few things that the gospel shows us this morning that are incredibly important. And as I have already forewarned you, we are going to fly through scriptures. Uh, and we're going to read a lot of scriptures. I don't expect you to even be able to keep up and writing them down. And if you want these scriptures later on, I'd be glad to print you a copy of my notes. But the first thing that I want us to see today is that the gospel reveals the glory of God. We love that one, don't we? We've seen it all throughout our previous sermon series that the glory of God is being revealed. You know, that God, through going after ordinary men and ordinary women, has glorified himself. We love in our culture today to talk about the glory of God, the love of the Father, the mercy of God, uh, his grace. All you got to do is go to the, the Christian book market and you can see the top sellers usually have to do with one of those three things. We love to talk about the glory of God. And there is absolutely no doubt that God reveals his glory throughout the word of God. But the gospel also reveals the reality of God. It does reveal God's mercy and his grace and his love upon us. But if that's the only gospel that we preach, if that's the only gospel that we are selling to others, it can lead to things that are ungodly. It can lead to a totally false gospel that people are buying into. And that false gospel will lead to uh, down a slippery slope. If all we do is limit the gospel to God's love and God's mercy, and in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and we keep it there, we go down a slope that is very difficult to come back from. And I fear that the American church is already down that slippery slope. You see, the gospel reveals realities about God that we don't often like to think about. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, this is the NIV, it says this, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil, that he cannot tolerate any wrongdoing. God is a God who loves to bring himself glory. And because he loves to bring himself glory, he cannot even look upon sin. If he did, he would no longer be God. You understand that? That God in his great love loves to bring himself glory. And the glory of God is so great and majesty, majestic that he can't even look on. He's too pure to look on sin. And he cannot tolerate any evildoing. But Psalms 5.5 tells us something else. Something else that you probably haven't heard of in a long time. That God hates sinners. The boastful shall not stand before his eyes. You hate all evil doers. Does that sound like the gospel that we share in churches in America today? That God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for you. God loves all sinners, right? Not according to Psalms 5.5. Because God is holy. God is righteous. God is a God who brings himself glory. He can have nothing to do with sin. Nothing to do with unrighteousness. He has no choice but to hate all evildoers. The very moment that he chooses not to hate evildoers, he's no longer God. Allow that to permeate 
for just a moment. We forget that God hates evil. We love to quote John 3.16. When's the last time you heard the last verse in John chapter 3 quoted? John chapter 3, verse 36, which says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We like that part. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Consider the byproducts of focusing simply on the love of God. Consider the theological ramifications that are natural when we consider just the love of God. We talk about God as this loving Father. We talk about the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the grace that God has upon us. We talk about God wills that none should perish, that God, He has this wonderful plan for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Does that sound familiar? That's the gospel that we have sold. That's the gospel that I've been guilty of selling, but it's only a portion of the gospel. When we just sell the love of God, think about the false doctrines that come to you. It really leads to this universalistic mindset. Because God is all loving and he wills that none should perish, he wills that he wants to prosper you, not to harm you, it leads to this idea that all roads lead to heaven. It's a false doctrine. And many, many of us, have allowed it to permeate our thinking. Focusing simply on the love of God leads to an anemic church. It leads to a church of inactivity. God is also a God of wrath. He is a holy, righteous, just God. He is a God who cannot tolerate any wrongdoing. If we really want ourselves to be transformed with the gospel, we have to understand the entire gospel. It is not limited to just the love of God. It is limited to the reality of who God is. And it is a gospel that ought to bring us in pure humility to our knees. But when's the last time you've heard a sermon preached on the wrath of God? When's the last time we were called to totally in that humility to humble ourselves and drop to our knees in worship of this God? The gospel reveals the glory of God. The gospel reveals the reality of God. But here's the other thing the gospel reveals. It reveals the reality of our hearts. I want you to consider the God that you came to worship this morning. If when you left your house, you thought about the God you came to worship, I would suspect it would be this loving Father, this God of grace and this God of mercy. And, you know, that, that's, all that is true, right? But if we forget the holy, righteous, jealous judge who cannot tolerate any evil, we change who God is. And therefore, it changes how we live out our understanding of the gospel. The gospel reveals the reality of our heart. We're going to go through lots of verses here. We understand Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We get the sin part. Hey, all of us have sinned and we're separated from God. We're separated from eternity. But do you understand the glory of God? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the perfection, the holiness of God. 
that God cannot have anything to do with sinners. That according to Psalm 5, 5, he hates sinners. He cannot even look upon us. The gospel reveals that apart from our evil, wicked, in Genesis 8, 21, it says, for even the intentions, the intentions of our heart are evil from youth. Jeremiah 17, 9, and this is in New King James, says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You might be going, well, Dave, you know, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Remember what I said before, let's not throw out the Old Testament. But just, just to go with you for a second, let's see what the New Testament says. The New Testament says this, that you and I are enemies of God. Romans 5, 10 says that while we were enemies. Romans also tells us that we are deserving of God's wrath. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unjustice suppress the truth. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with this false gospel that we're selling in American Christianity because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. All of us are sinners, and therefore all of us are hated by God, but that's not the gospel that we sell, is it? That's not the gospel that we come to church thinking about. We, it's so easy for us to forget who we are in light of this holy, majestic, all-powerful being who cannot tolerate any sin. You see this? The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Is there anyone here this morning who is without sin? The wrath of God is upon us. You know, I think we have created a different God in American Christianity, an incomplete God. God is this loving father. God has adopted us into his kingdom. God has a wonderful plan for you. We've created a gospel that really divorces the wrath of God from the love of God. Would you agree? We have so separated God's love from the reality of God's wrath that we have really have created an entirely different God. You see, the American gospel that we often sell says this, hey, if you don't want to burn in hell, then, hey, pray this prayer, walk this aisle, raise your hand. Simply praying a prayer, which, by the way, you'll never find in the Word of God, doesn't seem to be effective for us. Standing before such a God who is so powerful that his wrath is upon us, simply saying, yeah, I believe, doesn't seem to be effective. And so I pose this question to you this morning. Is it possible that we in the American church have been deceived? Is it possible that the enemy has been so slick that over the last 30 years, we have so manipulated the gospel into something that it isn't. 
that we have so manipulated the gospel that people's understanding of the gospel has led to the complacency and the lukewarmness and the pew warmers in the church who come to church on Sunday and sing all these praises to, to God and then they go live like hell the rest of the week. Is it possible that we've been sold a false gospel? Let's look at what Jesus' word says in Matthew 7, verses 22 to 23. He, Jesus said this, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Here's the words of Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now here's a modern version of that text. Lord, Lord, did we not go to church every Sunday? Did we not teach Sunday school and serve the BF? Lord, I even served in upward basketball. And God would say, never, never. Is it possible that we've been deceived? Earlier in Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus said. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and it's easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are what? Many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. These are the words of Jesus. These aren't mine. Is it possible that we have been deceived? See, what we understand of the gospel, what we believe the gospel really said dictates how we respond. And so how are we to respond to such a gospel? If our understanding is limited to John 3.16 and the love of God, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, then the cross is simply an act of God's love. It's an extension of God's love and nothing more. If we focus simply on the love of God, then the cross is merely God allowing the Roman soldiers to murder Jesus so that we can have this personal relationship with him and not burn in hell. May I suggest that that gospel does not lead to extraordinary transformation. That gospel leads to complacency. That gospel leads to comfort. That gospel leads to us thinking that we're okay. That gospel leads to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Few will enter. But one day he will declare to many, I never knew you. You know, that gospel, it, it leads to, to churches who have all sorts of activities to keep people to come back to the building. It leads to churches who are lukewarm. It leads to churches that are full of these programs to capture people. And it leads to the inactivity of people who refuse to obey the command of God to go out there and make disciples. The gospel that preaches just love. It is a gospel that enslaves. It enslaves people to inactivity. It is a false doctrine. We need to understand the entire gospel. We need to understand who God really is. We need to understand that God is just, God is holy, and God is an angry God, and that his wrath 
is going to be poured out on us. Let's not so easily forget what Habakkuk says in chapter 1, verse 13, that he can't even look on evil doers. See, the gospel is that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus took on the entire wrath of God. I want you to consider with me as best as our little pea brains can comprehend the entire wrath of God. The best way that I can figure out how to do this is, and Patman was talking about this earlier, we go out and we look at the stars. They're awesome, aren't they? They're too numerable to count. Matter of fact, have you ever wondered how many stars there are? No, Dave, I wouldn't try to count them. Well, guess what? I'm just a little curious about that, so I Googled it. Guess how many stars there are? It's estimated that in our galaxy, the, the number of observable stars are 100 billion stars. Now, let me just kind of try to unpack that for you in the simplicity that I had to understand it. That means that there are more stars in our galaxy than there are grains of sand in all the beaches on the world. That's just our galaxy. You know how many other galaxies that we are aware of? 10 billion other galaxies that we're aware of. So how many might there be that we are unaware of? Let me talk to you about the power of God. You know what our word, the word of God says? That he spoke and the heavens came into existence. When I try to translate that to demonstrated his love to you and I and that while we were yet sinners, he took on the entire wrath of God. You know, I've said this for years and I was corrected last week when I was away studying this text. I used to think, see, the portion of Scripture that tells us that Jesus, because he was under such emotional stress and psychological stress, that blood actually came out, his sweat pours. This is a real medical condition that comes only under the most intense and extreme stress that the body can physically handle. I used to think that the reason that the blood came out of his sweat pours is because of what he knew was going to come. But I now understand that had nothing to do with it. The blood came through his sweat pores because he understood, unlike you and I can possibly comprehend, the entire wrath of God that was about to be poured out on him. And so when Jesus said, God, if it is possible, please take this cup from me, that's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the beating and the flogging and the crucifixion. He was talking about the wrath of God that was meant for you and for me. You see, if we don't understand the wrath of God, how can we possibly ever comprehend in its entirety the love of God? How can we then say, hey, you know, if you, if you don't want to burn in hell, then hey, just pray this prayer. Hey, just declare that you believe in Jesus. You know what? The demons believe in Jesus, but guess what? They're going to burn in hell. And there's many people who say, I believe, who guess what? Like the demons are going to burn in hell because they have obeyed and they have accepted an incomplete gospel, a false gospel 
gospel. And so what kind of response do we need to have to the entire gospel? I think it speaks pretty clearly. Rule. Total submission to this almighty God of whose wrath should be poured out on me. It ought to be poured out on you. It is not saying, I believe by the show of hands. It is not about walking an aisle and praying some prayer that is you'll never find it in the Word of God. But it is about total humility and submission to God because we are dead in our sins. We are unrighteous, filthy rags that apart from God we can do no good thing. It is a gospel that demands a response. A response that's unlike just about anything that we even talk about in church circles anymore. It is a gospel that will not allow us to sit in warm pews. It is not a gospel that allows us to come to a church building on Sunday and live like hell Monday through Saturday. It is a gospel that when we really understand it, when we really humble ourselves and yield to it, it is a gospel that extraordinarily transforms lives in such a way that there is no room for complacency. It is a gospel that demands that we yield to Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that he, being God, can do only what he can do. Take us who are dead and raise us to life. That's where the transformation begins. You and I are dead. What can dead people do? received this morning was it like so many simply a gospel of love that was a fire insurance policy that has never transformed your life or was it a complete gospel that when we really understand all who God is it makes us die to ourselves it makes us totally yield to him and knowing that we can do no good thing apart from the transformation that can only come through placing our faith and our obedience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I believe in the literal hell. In fact, I believe that literal hell is going to be far worse than what Revelation 14, verses 10 through 11 says. This is what it says. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes on forever and ever, and they will have no rest. I think that what really is going to happen, the real wrath of God, pales in comparison to what this is. We need to understand that this gospel calls us to a life transformation. Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all things, these things, the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians 5, 
verses 1 through 6 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. For you may be sure of this, that everyone, everyone who is sexually immoral and pure among you, who is covetousness, that is idolatry, worshiping something other than God, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with this false, incomplete gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Romans 12, 1 through 5 says, you are out without excuse. So before we judge others, before we think of other people other than ourselves, listen to this first. You and I are without excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because the judge, you, you practice the same things that you're judging others for. We know that the judgment of God falls on those who practice such things. Suppose, oh man, that you who judge, you who practice such things, you do them yourself, that you will escape his judgment? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience? Do you presume on the love of God that he's going to bail you out just because he's loving? Know this. God's kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. Because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up the wrath of God for yourself on the day when the wrath of God's judgment will be revealed. What is the proper response to a complete gospel? It is to repent. what gospel it is that you were sold or what gospel you received. But one thing I know from studying God's word, his gospel, his gospel is extraordinarily transforming. His gospel is not a gospel that will allow us to, to be mediocre. It is not a gospel that will allow us to do nothing. If we really understand the wrath of God, then we can comprehend the love if we understand the wrath of God, it will not allow us to sit in our pews and remain silent. As we come for a song of invitation today, the complete gospel calls for our hearts. Maybe you have totally understand and you comprehend the entire gospel of God, and therefore I encourage you to worship him, to humbly bow yourself in total worship of him, once again thanking him and praising him that he has spared you these things. But maybe, just maybe you, like many, as Jesus said, many have been deceived. Today, the gospel in its entirety has been revealed to you. Thank you.
tired with God just kind of mentally. And you choose not to listen. And you will. As long as everybody else does not understand. Which means when you try to listen, you're not listening. So as we come to sing this last song, I ask that you would respond to a holy God. A just God. A mighty God. surrender and you trust him father thank you for today i thank you for your mighty word god i thank you that your word does tell us how jealous you are how angry you are that you are a righteous holy angry god a god who cannot look on any sin god we humble ourselves and we come to you and we confess that we have created a different God, that we have accepted a different God, that we have accepted something that is a false God. And God, I pray that right now as we stand in your presence, Lord, that we would be drawn to repentance, that we would be drawn to our knees in total humility and submission. And that, God, we would understand your love, but that your love would be magnified because of our understanding of your wrath and what your son really endured for our sake. In Jesus' name.